Thank you, Marge. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Originally, um, I had planned, as the, as the bulletin says, to read verses 6 through 16, but uh, there's just too much here. And so we're going we're gonna to take this passage in two parts. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at verses 6 through 10, and then next Sunday night, we'll, we'll cover verses 11 through 16. But the, the whole passage is essentially about being a good servant of Christ. And, and I, would, I would assume that for all of us here tonight, that is one of the things that we desire uh, to be good servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that we're all different ages, we're all different places in life, uh, but wherever we're at, um, one of the things that, that we have in common is that we want to serve the Lord wherever we are. We use the time we have, uh, the gifts we have to, to serve him. And this passage, I think, shows us some of the things that you find in a, a faithful servant of Christ. So, Tonight, verses 6 through 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have put our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 1 Timothy is is all about the local church. Um, As Christians, the uh, the church is very important to us. Uh, We care about its ministry. We want to see the Lord use his church to make an impact Uh, For the gospel, we want to see the church operate according to the word of God. And and that's what really 1 Timothy is all about. Now, we come to a passage like this one. And and, and this is one of those passages, kind of like chapter 3, where some of us might be tempted to, this afternoon, somewhat disengage from this passage. We we might be tempted to say, well, you know, Paul's, Paul's talking directly to Timothy here. Uh, He's talking about Timothy's work as a pastor I'm not a pastor, and so this doesn't really apply to me. There's a sense in which you would be partly correct, uh, but there's also a sense in which you would be incorrect in thinking that this passage has no application to you. If you look again at verse 6, Paul talks about being a good servant. And again, it doesn't matter if we're a pastor or an elder or, or just your average church member This applies to all of us. All of us are servants of Christ. All of us are desirous of being faithful to him. All of us are called to serve him and and serve others with the time and the gifts that he has given to us. And so again, while this this passage might chiefly apply to pastors and and elders and deacons, I, I, I would encourage you tonight, even urge you tonight, to Find application to your own life in this passage. And and there are three things that Paul brings out here, three things that characterize a faithful servant of Christ. All of them start with the letter T. Number one is teaching. Number two is training. And number three is toiling. Teaching, training, and toiling. And there's a sense in which 
regardless of our age, regardless of our station in life, all of us can participate in these three things. Faithful servant of Christ, first of all, Paul says, particularly those who serve as pastors and elders, is to be marked by a ministry of teaching. That is one of the chief callings of a minister. It's why one of the gifts or one of the qualifications for an elder is to be able to teach. God's people are to be fed with a steady diet of the Word of God. Not the pastor's own ideas, not his own hobby horses. You know, he loves to preach about whatever, election. And so every sermon's about election. Not what he wants to preach on, but the whole counsel of God's Word. And if you're a reader or a studier of church history, you, you know that church history shows us what happens when pastors or churches or whole denominations stop teaching the Word of God. But, but Paul says here to Timothy, the first thing, Timothy, that is to mark the ministry of a faithful servant is that you are to be a teacher. He says in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, in other words, if you teach these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, what are these things? If you like to underline in your Bible, what are these things? Well, if you were here last Sunday night, remember the immediate context. The immediate context is that Paul tells Timothy that the church can expect two things. We can expect two things to happen in the life of Zion. Every church can expect two things to happen in the life of their church. Number one, there will be false believers, and number two, there will be false teachers. And and Paul says, Timothy, part of being a good servant of the Lord is is reminding your people that that they can expect this. Don't don't give your people these pie-in-the-sky ideas as if everything is going to be wonderful all the time. There won't be any troubles. There won't be any difficulties It'll all be smooth sailing. Now, sometimes those troubles come from outside the church, right? Think think of all the places in the world today where Christians are persecuted by governments. Think, first of all, about North Korea. North Korea is considered by most experts to be the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. In North Korea, if the government finds out that you're a Christian... Children, do you know what they do? They, they take you and they either deport you to a labor camp where the work is so hard that you will probably die from it, or they just kill you on the spot. It's an extremely, extremely dangerous place to be a Christian. But interestingly enough, it's estimated that the underground church in North Korea is close to 400,000 people. Now, that's amazing to me that even in the face of violent oppression, and violent persecution and the threats of labor camps and death, Christ continues to grow his church. But again, sometimes opposition comes from outside the church. Other times, as as Paul is saying here, it comes from inside the church, false believers and false teachers. And, And Paul says, Timothy, this is part of your calling. Part of your calling is is not to tell your people that everything is going to be always wonderful. Part of your calling is to tell your people that there will be difficult times. Be on the lookout for false teaching. Be on the lookout for those who fall away. And and remember, in particular, the false teaching that that Timothy's church was dealing with was legalism. It was was elevating 
man-made laws to the level of God's law. And, and like Paul to Timothy, I, I say to all of you tonight, always be alert, always for false gospels. Always be alert for, for any message that detracts from Christ, that, that adds works to the equation. Now, how do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you prepare yourself? How do you arm yourself for these kinds of things? Well, well, notice what Paul says at the end of verse 6. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Timothy, you are to be a pastor who is trained in God's word. You are to be a pastor who is trained in sound doctrine. There's a reason why many churches and many denominations have four to five hour long ordination exams because being trained in scripture is very important. Now, now while Paul says this, first of all, to Timothy, this has direct relevance to all of us tonight. Uh, if we are to prepare ourselves for, for the reality of false teachers, if, if we are to be on guard for the presence of a false gospel, the best way to prepare ourselves is to equip ourselves with the truth of Scripture. It is to know the truth well enough that, that when a false gospel comes along, you spot it just like that. You, you say, there's something wrong with this message. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't jive with what I read in Scripture. Now, now, moms and dads certainly need to view part of their calling as parents to, to make sure they do this with their children. Parents read the Bible with their children. They, they talk with their children about spiritual things. They, they take their children to church. They, they send them to Sunday school. They provide a Christian education for them so that these children would know the truth of God's word. And, and obviously the, the goal in all of this is that they would know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that they would love him and, and desire to live their lives for him, but but in addition to that, one of the reasons why parents spend so much time teaching their children the word and educating their children in the word and bringing their children to church and giving them a Christian education is, is so that they would be able to handle false teaching. Parents, you give your children this instruction because you know that, that all of us are in a very real spiritual battle. Remember last week... Um, Paul talks about deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. False doctrine and false gospels originate from Satan himself, Paul says. And, and so not only do you want your children to know Jesus and, and love Jesus, but you want your children to be equipped. They're not going to be with you forever. They're going to go out into the world and you want them to be ready for this spiritual battle. You want them to be prepared for the schemes of the evil one. And so this is the first thing that a faithful servant is called to do. Whether it's a pastor or an elder or the average church member, it is to teach truth. It is to know truth so that you would be prepared. Second word is the word training. Notice what Paul says in verse 7 have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I think the idea here is that we are not to get involved in things and be devoted to things that Scripture doesn't specifically address. One, one commentator describes this as idle speculation. You know, the old one, how many, how many angels can fit on the, 
the head of a needle or something like that. That's, that's endless, idle speculation, silly myths. In other words, it's, it's going down all these rabbit trails trying to get answers to questions the Bible either doesn't ask or the Bible doesn't answer. There's a reason Deuteronomy 29.29 is in Scripture. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The revealed things are those things that God tells us in his word so that we might believe them and, and, and live our lives in light of them. But the secret things are things God hasn't revealed to us. And, and Paul says, Timothy, there's no sense in, in you or really any Christian spending endless amount of time trying to, trying to answer questions God hasn't even given us answers to. There are some things that only God knows. And, and Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't delve into those things. Don't waste your time on those things. Sometimes I read, I read theology books and, or I get on social media, you get in these, these kind of theo- theological discussion groups and the, the questions that people are asking and spending so much time on are often questions the Bible doesn't even address. And, and yet so much time is spent on these things. And, and Paul says, don't do that. It's just silly speculation. Rather, notice what he says. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Don't, don't devote your time to endless myth stuff. Devote your time to godliness. Now, this word godliness is a word that, that might escape us in terms of what it means. We, we talk a lot about it. We, we say, oh, he's a really godly person, or she's a, she's a really godly person. What do we mean? What is, what is the idea of godliness? Is it just someone who's more righteous and more obedient than the average Christian? Literally, the, the word that's translated godliness carries within the word the idea of reverence toward God. Reverence toward God. Now you might say, well, that, that doesn't really help me much because I'm not really entirely sure what it means to have reverence toward God. But, but think of reverence toward God. Think of godliness this way. You, you've heard me use the phrase quorum Deo before. Or maybe you've read that phrase. It's a, it's a Latin phrase, quorum Deo. It simply means before the face of God. To, to live quorum Deo is to live your life with the understanding that God sees it all. It is to live your life with a desire that, that whatever you do, whether it's Sunday morning at church or Wednesday afternoon at work or Friday night with your friends or Saturday pursuing a hobby or whatever it is, all of your life is given to honor and glorify and please God. That, I think, is what it means to live with reverence toward God. That's what it means to devote yourself to godliness. To, to live in such a way that it doesn't matter the day, it doesn't matter the time, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're, you're thinking to yourself, God is with me, I'm living my life before him, and I'm living my life for him. Children, tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're going to go to school. First of all, though, you're going you're to interact 
with mom and dad. You're going to interact with your brothers and sisters. And, and then you're going to go to school. You're going to see your friends. You're going to see other students. Um, you'll, you'll interact with your teachers. And, and then you come home in the afternoon and you'll see your family again. Children, I would encourage you tomorrow and this week, seek to honor God and please God in all your interactions with others. Not just your Sunday school teacher. Not just here at church. But how you talk to your parents. How you treat your brothers and sisters. How you talk to your teachers. How you do your schoolwork. In in all that you do, in all that you say, you seek to please and honor him. And the same is true for all of us as adults. Rather than getting wrapped up in, in unanswerable questions, rather than grumbling or complaining at work, rather than living for ourselves, we are to pursue godliness. We are to live quorum Deo. We are to seek to please him in all that we do. And, and by doing this, we are training ourselves for godliness. We are living Quorum Deo. There's, there's no, for the Christian, there's no compartmentalizing our lives, right? You've heard this before. You, you don't say, well, this is the, the Sunday slot that God gets, morning and evening. And, and the rest of the time, maybe my Bible reading in the morning, but, but the rest of the time is for me. All of our lives are to be lived for the honor of the one who saved us. Remember what David says in Psalm 16. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. I think think David was talking about Coram Deo. God is always before me. It doesn't matter if I'm writing a psalm or, or shepherding the sheep or killing Goliath or serving as the king. All of life is lived before him. I appreciate what R.C. Sproul said about this. He said, if a person fulfills his or her vocation as a steelmaker, as an attorney, as a homemaker, quorum Deo, then that person is acting every bit as religiously as a soul-winning evangelist who fulfills his vocation. It means that David was as religious when he obeyed God's call to be a shepherd as he was when he was anointed with the special grace of kingship. It means that Jesus was every bit as religious when he worked in his father's carpenter shop as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what it means to train ourselves for godliness. And so you see, this this doesn't just apply to the pastor or the elders or the deacons, missionaries, Christian school teachers. It applies to all of us as Christians. All of us are to train ourselves for godliness. Now, now Paul was very realistic. He he knew that that living for Christ was hard work. He knew his own failures. You heard me read, I think, a couple weeks ago, Romans 7, where Paul says, I I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. And we all experience that. And he knows that living for quorum Deo, or living quorum Deo, is not an easy thing. And that's, I think, why he says what he does in verse 8. Notice. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, now that seems somewhat out of place. I, I remember as a younger Christian and first kind of reading through the Bible, and I always remember this verse being somewhat weird to me. I, I was really into sports, and, and I thought it's kind of strange that, that in the middle of this um, passage about godliness, Paul now talks about physical exercise. Here's why he does this, I think. Um, 
Most of us know it's not easy to get into good physical condition. And, and think, think about world-class athletes. Think about professional athletes. Steph Curry did not become the greatest shooter in NBA history by just rolling out of bed and going and playing. We don't see all the work that a guy like Steph Curry put into it, the countless hours in the gym. It takes hard, hard work to be a professional athlete. And, and I think it's like Paul is saying, look, Timothy, if that's true on the physical level, if, if you know, Timothy, how hard it is to train yourself physically, it's also true on the spiritual level. If it takes work to grow physically, it's going to take work to grow spiritually. Some of us wish, you know, we could just have, give me, give me three steps to be a better Christian. But, but it's, it's not, there's no magic formula. There's a reason we, we talk about the, the spiritual disciplines. It takes discipline to grow spiritually. It takes hard work, hard work that we do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and historically, you know, the Reformed Church has, has talked about the importance of the means of grace. The Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism mentions three primary means of grace, being the preaching of the word, the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and also prayer. But these are the three primary means that God uses to grow us. Now, those are not the only means. He uses your own time in the word. Your, the word. He, he uses um, fellow believers, iron sharpens iron. He uses trials. But Christian, the primary means he uses to grow you is what happens in the context of the local church. Preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments. This, this is why it's a, it's a dangerous thing to absent ourselves from worship on the Lord's Day. Now, now I know that, that sometimes we can't help it. I, I know sometimes we're, uh, we're on vacation or we're ill or we have to work. But, but I do want to remind all of us that to willingly and regularly withdraw ourselves from corporate worship, it, it's not a good thing. And, and I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but, but it's, it's not to our spiritual benefit when we think it's okay to just be very, very irregular in worship. In fact, notice the great benefit Paul mentions here in regard to training ourselves for godliness. He says in verse 8, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, now there's benefit to, to working out physically. There's a benefit to lifting weights. There's a benefit to doing cardio work. Nothing wrong with that. We should take care of our bodies. But Paul says there's a, there's a far greater benefit to spiritual discipline. It's a far greater benefit to spiritual exercise. First of all, he says it's beneficial for this life. Being in God's word and, and being a person of prayer and partaking in the sacraments, being an active member of the local church, those things prepare you to live for Christ in this world. What, what we do here every Sunday morning and evening is not some mere academic exercise as if I'm here just to cram you all with more knowledge. That's, that's not the goal. The, the ministry of the church should, should prepare and equip us to live for Christ, whether we're at school or work or home or wherever we are. 
It has benefit for this life, Paul says. God will use you. He's using you now to make an impact on other people. But secondly, he also says it's beneficial for the life to come. There's a lot of debate about what this means. Uh, but, but I think there's a couple of things. First of all, if we are Christians, we long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We long to hear that. But, but secondly, and we'll get into this more next week, by God's grace, I, I think what Paul says here is telling us we can have an influence on the souls of people by our behavior in this life. It would be interesting, I'm not going to do it, but it'd be interesting to ask for a show of hands tonight and, and to ask you how many of you can look back and see the profound influence and impact that a parent or a close Christian friend had on you? I would guess that, that most of our hands would go up tonight and we would say it was a mom or a dad or a friend or someone whom the Lord especially used to impact us for Christ. And isn't that what we all want at the end of the day? If we are Christians, that's what we want. We, we pour our lives into our children we pour our lives into our grandchildren because we want to influence them for Christ. Very few things are that important. And so Paul says godliness is, is beneficial for the life to come because you are influencing that person for the sake of Christ. And I hope this doesn't sound like legalism to you. There's a huge difference between the supposed godliness of legalism and, and true uh, biblical godliness. Legalism says, I'm going to do these things so that God will accept me. It's the eat your, eat your vegetables and get dessert kind of thing I mentioned this morning. I'm going to do these things so that when I die, I'll go to heaven. Christianity says, I'm going to, I'm going to live like this because I love God. And because I'm thankful for his grace to me and I want to be used by him to make an impact for eternity. And so the faithful servant of Christ, whether it's a pastor, elder, deacon, average church member, is known for teaching. It's known for, he's known for training. One more T word is toiling. Take a look at verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul says, Timothy, don't forget why we're doing what we're doing. It's important we never forget that. We do what we do as Christians for the, the sake of eternity. We're, we're doing this for eternal souls. Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't, don't forget, don't lose sight of the importance of evangelism. It's easy for churches to get caught up in programs and ministries which can be and, and are good things. And yet, we can become so wrapped up in programs and ministries here that we forget the people out there. Same thing is true with doctrine. We, we can become so overly focused on doctrine, so overly focused on theology, that, that we lose sight of the fact that, that people are lost and on their way, way to judgment. 
Paul's driving home this, this very important truth that we must toil for, that we must labor for, that we must always keep before us, and that is that there's only one Savior. There's only one way to escape judgment, and that is through faith in Christ. Now, now some people get caught up in the last part of verse 10. If you notice your Bible, it says um, that Jesus is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And people go, that, that's a weird way to put it. Um, is Paul talking about two kinds of salvation? Is Jesus a savior to everyone and, and also a savior to those who believe? Well, the word especially could, could better be translated precisely or in other words. Jesus is the savior of all people, Paul says, precisely, in other words, of those who believe. The point is this. Jesus is the Savior of all different kinds of people. White people, black people, North Americans, Africans, Asians, Europeans. He's the Savior of all people. And and this means that the gospel must go out to all people. Paul says, don't forget what we are to toil for. And that is for eternity. Two questions for you tonight as we close. Number one, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Do you know Christ? You can go to church, you can watch services online and and still be utterly lost. Are you trusting Jesus to save you because, as Paul says here, he is the only Savior? And second, do you desire, Christian, to be a good servant of Christ? Pray that God would give all of us the desire and the strength to to teach his word to others, whether it's children, grandchildren, or other Christians, that he would give us the strength to train ourselves in godliness, to train ourselves to live quorum Deo, and, and to toil for the cause of evangelism, for the proclamation and promotion of the gospel, however he might see fit to use us. This is what it means to be a good servant of Christ. We must do so for his glory and in his strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Many of these truths can bring conviction to us. Lord, we know that in many respects we fall so very short. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of devotion at times for our spiritual lethargy. We thank you that Jesus paid for all of our sins and we pray now that that you would work in each one of us a a desire, an earnest desire to be good servants of yours at work, at school, at home. May we live all of life before your face to bring honor and glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name.